God's word for us today is from Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 9 through 25. So hear now the word of the Lord. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they all paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they, be- but when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's your word that we seek this morning because it's your face, Lord, that we seek. It's your heart, Lord, that we need. Come. In Jesus' name, come. And meet us freshly this morning, Lord. You have drawn close. And your presence is palpable and we want more. So we're asking, Lord, this morning that you'd show us the places where we ourselves are in our own way. Where we have thought too highly of ourselves and too little of you and forgotten the one who's made us and who's promised That as we come humbly unto you, you exalt us. Jesus, be magnified in this place today. Be glorified in our thinking and in our doing. Be with the one who preaches and all of us who listen, Lord. Let it be your voice that we hear. The rhema, the spoken word of God. We ask all these things in the only name that matters. The name above every name. Jesus, 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 hallelujah, in your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so the question for us to to begin our time together is, who's the goat? What does goat mean? Greatest of all time, right? And we talk about GOAT in a lot of different areas of our lives, right? So when you're talking about football, quarterbacks, who's the greatest of all time? Is it Tom Brady or 
Joe Montana, who said Patrick Mahomes? Not even old enough yet. He's still a little boy, right? Right. So which one of these two? Obviously, people always talk about Tom Brady. I think that's probably a fair bet, right? Who's the greatest baseball player of all time, Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds? Babe Ruth is my opinion there too as well. Like, who's the greatest basketball player? Michael, listen, listen, is it Michael Jordan or, yes, it's Michael Jordan. Is it Tiger Woods, the best golfer, or Jack Nicholas? right? The debate rages on. What about when it comes to classical music? Is it Beethoven, Beethoven, right? Or is it Bach, Bach, right? Which one is it? What, what about when it comes to painters, right? Michelangelo or Bob Ross? It, the, the debate rages on, friends. There's a lot of reason to argue either direction. Who's happier? That's what I want to know, right? What about when it comes to divas, right? The, 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 the queen of, of soul, who is it, Aretha or Beyonce? Whitney. Or Whitney? Oh, I, I failed. I'm sorry. I failed you today, friends. So you're, you're following along, right? So here's the next one. Who's the goat when it comes to life? <laughs> we laugh. But I put my picture in there and yours belongs. Who's the greatest when it comes to your life? Not who's the greatest overall. I, which is probably how you understood that now that I realize that. <laughs> Who's the greatest in your life? Who's the one that is, is preeminent, who gets the glory that you live for? Of course, the right Bible school answer is Jesus, and we all give that answer, but what do our actions actually betray? What do our thoughts actually betray? What do our feelings actually betray? Who's the goat in our lives, friends? One way to think about this is, can you see that picture right there? That's Jesus hot sauce. They legitimately make taco Jesus. If you're looking for Christmas gifts for me, this would be an excellent gift. I love hot sauce. But you know what the problem is? I love hot sauce when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. Jesus becomes that spice that I put in to the meal that I myself am making. He's the condiment in my life. He's not the Lord of my life. So often, I say, Jesus, spice things up. Give me a little bit of that Holy Spirit power. Come on, give me some of that because this is the meal that we're making, right? And he's looking up and saying, I'll wait longer. I'll wait for you. I'll wait till you get it. I'll wait till you give up. I'll wait till you surrender is the word. Is Jesus a condiment in our lives or is he in fact the chef who invites us into this rhythm where he's going to break our lives in order to heal our souls. Do you hear me? He is going to break our lives in order to heal our souls. He knows what we need. And he's come to give us nothing less than all of himself. Who's your goat? We all have the answer we think is right. But we all have the answer that we oftentimes live with, friends. And this morning, as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts, that's what we're going to unpack. That's what we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to do in us. Can I just pray for us one more time? I feel the Lord. Lord, would you come?
I hear you calling us, Lord, to come and say this. There are areas of blindness in our lives we don't see. We don't know we're deceived. That's the definition of deception. And so would you come and show us, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over All Souls Community Church, those here in person and, and watching online. I plead your blood and I ask that you would show us what you see and that we would not, Lord, turn away from it, but lean in and let you do what only you can do. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you freshly. In your name, amen. If you're new here, we've been going through the book of Acts, and what we've been seeing consistently is this reality, that God has, has, has formed this community called the church, his family called the church, and he says, I want you to live on mission, but I'm going to give you power to do what I've called you to do. I'm going to give you power to do what I've called you to do. So often when we want to follow after Jesus, here's what we do. We say, I'm in love with this notion of grace, and now I'm going to try really hard so that I can prove to God and the world that I deserve it. The very definition of grace is what? You don't deserve it. It is undeserved merit. And so to the degree we try to live our lives like those who need to prove how much we deserve it, we undermine the very gift we've been given. Last week, Tommy preached a really powerful sermon for us on pain. How many of you love hearing sermons on pain? I do. Not because I love pain, but because I need to know God's heart in the middle of it, otherwise it consumes me. And the purpose of our pain, as Tommy brought out last week, in case you missed it, because we all have secondary purposes, right, that we're always looking for. But can I tell you this? Oftentimes when we're looking for the secondary purpose, God doesn't show it to us for a very long time. And so if you're looking for the purpose in your pain right now and you're like, I don't see it, can I encourage you to realize this? The big picture purpose is always the same. Presence. God uses our pain to bring us into his presence. Because what he wants for us is himself. Consider the story of Stephen that we looked at last week, right? What was the story of Stephen all about? This guy preaches the gospel, preaches an incredibly powerful sermon, the longest sermon in the book of Acts, and he gets thrown outside and stoned to death. Doesn't sound like a way that I'd like to die. It's a horrific way to, to end your life. And yet it says that it doesn't say Stephen pleads for his life. It doesn't say Stephen cries out. It doesn't say Stephen resists. It says even though as they're throwing stones at him, he looks up and he sees Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he sees Jesus at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, standing on his behalf, advocating for him. And suddenly, the stones didn't matter. Because the very purpose for which he was made, he was receiving in that moment. That, friends, is what God wants for all of us. That's the end of all of our stories. That's where we're going. And when that breaks into the now, through pain and suffering, hallelujah, God is giving us a taste of heaven. And so while none of us like pain, all of us are made for presence. Where is he using yours to get more of you to more of him? More of him for more of you. Presence. That's what this is all about. And then we see the same things not just for Stephen, but also for the church, right? Because it says, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then God brings persecution. And where do they get scattered to? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, and the ends of the earth. They go out. And that's where we're at in this narrative. They're going out because they've been persecuted. But then Acts 1.8 is answered by Acts 8.1, as Tommy pointed out. God has a sense of humor. 
Because as they're being persecuted, God's saying, I'm going to use that persecution to do what I already told you I was going to do. How many times in your lives has God done exactly that? You've asked him to grow. He puts you in a situation that is incredibly stretching, painful. And you're like, God, take the pain away. And God's response is, but you asked for it. Now, of course, we don't ask for pain and suffering, but we ask for growth. And guess how you grow? Through the fire. Not around it. Not under it. Not over it. Through it. Always. Today, this is where we're going, friends. Whom, whom, proper English, whom, that's from my father-in-law right there, right? Whom are you making great? That's an object, not a subject, right? Two points. What amazes you and what are you pursuing? So first point, what amazes you? In our passage for this morning, we are introduced to this man, Simon. Simon, it says the magician. The Greek word there is magus. And magus is singular form of magi. Anyone heard that before? The magi. When you think in our culture of those who are mystical, those who are like, basically any religion goes, I'm just trying to read the stars and I'm going to go wherever the power is. That's the magi. Simon is one of them. Simon the magician is one of the magi of his day. And he has real power. He's doing stuff that's garnering an incredible attention of the people around him. He's, we don't know exactly what he's doing because the text doesn't tell, us, doesn't tell us, but we know from other texts of other magicians things that they would do. Remember when Moses went into Egypt and he was going to try to set the people free and God said, take your staff and throw it on the ground because I'm going to turn it into a snake and everyone's going to know that I'm God. And then all of a sudden the Egyptian magicians do the exact same thing. And you're like, whoa, uh, what's going on here? Please know this. The reason why we go after false gods, which the Bible calls what again? Behind every idol is a what, according to Paul? Demon. Behind every idol is a demon, which is why they have real power. Do you know what the demon behind the idol of money is called? Mammon. Mammon. We think, oh, it's just money. Well, in our culture, what do we worship? Sex, money, education, right? All these things that make us great. And there are, there's real power there. It's not to say there aren't positives there. Please don't hear me throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There's lots of positives that God gives us in each of those areas. But here's the reality. When we begin to worship those things and put them above God or even to God, we are literally worshiping the demonic. And we don't think we are. What's the word that we just used before? When we're doing something that we don't think we're doing, we are deceived, deceived, deceived. Did you see in our text for this morning what Simon was telling everyone? He was someone great. Have you met someone who goes around telling you that he's great? You thought I did that earlier, right? Like, like, oh, wow, Will's really prideful, right? Like, look at the head on that guy, right? Like, that's what we think. But how often do we go around in our lives bragging about the things, the areas in which we have power? Hey, have you seen my new, my, my new outfit? Again, it's okay to be excited about your new outfit. But if you are worshiping the idol of beauty, worshiping the idol of sensuality and se sexuality, then all of a sudden it's all about how you look. 
that is primary in your life, right? Look at this job promotion I got. Look at how powerful I am, right? Look, look at the people that have to report to me. We start to unpack this. Look how popular I am at school. We think that that's just, oh, not a big deal, right? Like those are just little things. No, they're not just little things. When we start to make the connection back to where in our lives we are making ourselves great. And where, in case you missed it, the culture around us agrees. Agrees. They said, this man is the power of God. Not just has the power of God. They're saying he is the incarnation of the power of God because of the crazy stuff he was able to do. This is not a small deal, friends. I I want that to sink in a little bit because we're going to continue to unpack it as we go along. Verses 12 to 13, it says, suddenly Philip comes. Simon's got the corner marketed there in Samaria. He's the man, right? But then all of a sudden, Philip comes. And it says, he preaches the gospel and even Simon the magician. I hope you hear the echo of what we saw a couple chapters ago where it said, even the priests believed. Here it's, even Simon believed and was baptized. And the first point I want you to see here is that true authority exposes the frauds. There's lots of authority um, in this world, lots of little authorities, but when you come face to face with your maker, like Rana prayed earlier today, when you see the Holy One, every other authority bends the knee to him. Right? It reminds me of uh, that second book in Lord of the Rings, or the second movie, The Two Towers, right? where Gandalf, the white wizard, who dies for his friends and is resurrected, wearing all white and has superpowers, who is he supposed to be a, a figure of? A picture of Jesus, right? And so he goes and you have this guy, Wormtongue, who's whispering in the ears of the king. And as he's whispering, the king is getting more and more weighed down and hunched over and can't do the things that he's called to do, but darkness keeps invading into his life. Wormtongue is a representation of a what? Demon who's speaking lies into the king's heart. And Gandalf comes and with a word casts Wormtongue out. That's the power of that name we sang about earlier. Your name is a high and mighty tower. Your name, no other name under heaven and earth do the demons listen to and bow to but the name of our Jesus. Amen? Amen. It also makes me think of when uh, a funny story, maybe you've heard of this, the very first Dream Team, 1992, with all the studs on it, right? Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, they're all there. And the two best players up to that point in the world are Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And they tell the story of how they start interacting with Michael Jordan on the court and seeing, and they say this, that dude's in a different league. The two best players on the planet say there's no one like Michael Jordan. Even LeBron James, right? LeBron was a, was a wee babe at that point, right? So no, no big deal. But, but you understand the point, right? The, the issue is simply this. When you come into contact with true greatness, all other greatnesses are put in their rightful place. Amen? Amen. What about Mark chapter 5? We see that in Jesus, with Jesus specifically. Where Jesus goes across the, the Sea of Galilee and he interacts there with a man who says, it was said to be demonized by 
a, a, a demon that's called legion, which means he's got a lot of demonic oppression going on in his life. So much so that chains cannot hold him. They try to chain him down. It doesn't work. And it says that when he sees Jesus, he runs and bows the knee. And again, with just a word, Jesus casts the legion of demons out of him. Friends, listen, I, I realize as we're talking about some of this stuff, and we're talking about idolatry and heart and demonic, it can feel really overwhelming. And there's a temptation when you're hearing stuff like this to think, well, oh my goodness, is this one of those wacky churches that believes in, in the demonic? Yes, actually we are one of those yes. wacky churches yes. that believes in the demonic. But here's what we don't believe. Not everything's a demon. Not everything's a demon. But until and unless you deal with what Jesus says and tells us is the prince of this world and his influence reigning over this world, you're only ever fighting your battle on one front when it's actually attacking you from behind at the same time. So have you ever gotten to a place where you're trying to deal with a heart issue that's a true heart issue and you get stuck and can't grow anymore? You can't break through. You know what's probably there? You know what's probably happening? You know what you probably need? Deliverance. Because you're under attack and you think you're not. And the enemy has his way with you. And what we've been seeing over and over and over in this season in our church's existence is freedom, a breakthrough, victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I want you to see that our text gives us a hint when it comes to this guy, Simon. Right? Simon is amazed. He is amazed with the signs and miracles that he sees the apostles performing. You know what he should have been amazed with? The grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He should have been amazed at the heart of God for him. That's where his heart should have been because his idol was power. And here he's just replacing one magic for a different magic that Jesus can give him. He's amazed, but he's still at the center of his story. And this is a challenge for us, friends. This is one of the ways where we can really know what amazes us. Do we use God as that condiment, or do we allow him to take over? Do we use him, or do we surrender to him? What are the areas in your life where you're not putting to death the old self, but allowing the old self to continue to linger, right? Maybe you've given your life to Jesus and you're walking with him, but you still look at pornography because that's just a little, you know, it's a little secret thing. I just do that on the side a little bit and you think that somehow that's not affecting you, that that's not a doorway into your heart and life. I've given my life to Jesus, but I don't actually give generously to the people in my life because greed is my idol. Money, power, mammon is the one that I serve. And you think that isn't affecting you, right? We could go on and on and on. What are those areas in your life where you've said, I, Jesus, I follow you, but not really. What I want you to do is bless all this stuff and allow me to do these things over here and be okay with it. When listen, he wants your whole heart. And it's not so he can wag his finger at you. It's so he can make you whole. So he can set you free. It's because he loves you, friends. Which nature, in other words, are you going to nurture? I want to share an example of someone. Uh, John Newton. This guy was uh, a captain of a slave ship in the 1800s. Captain of a slave ship who was converted to Christianity during a storm. 
a crazy storm that he thought he was going to die and he cries out to Jesus, reads the entire Bible by the time he gets to his destination and gives his life to Jesus. But in his own words, he says, my true conversion didn't happen for many years later. You want to know why? What he's getting at? Was he truly converted there? Probably. But there was his old nature, his old idol, that demonic inroad that still was there as a captain of a slave ship, he continued to captain. He continued to live in. He did not turn that over, even as he gave his life over to the Lord. Do you know what that demon's called? Murder. Murder. We see it in the earliest pages of Scripture. When I'm willing to sacrifice you on the altar of me, Cain and Abel. The result is always the same. Murder. It wasn't until the Lord grabbed his heart and opened his eyes and set him free that he then turns to that and says, this was my true conversion. And it was at that moment that the grace of God so captured his soul that he penned these words and this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like me. I once was so lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, deceived, but now I see. Do you hear the difference, friends? between using God, being in awe of this, this picture of grace at the cross, but not allowing it to penetrate down deep in our hearts because we're afraid of letting go of the idols that have forever given us the power and identity that we thought we needed, but were only ever keeping us captive. Where is that happening in your life, friends? What amazes us where is Jesus, my condiment, spicing up the soup that I'm making rather than being the chef who makes this banquet of grace that he wants me to enter into and delight in? He is going to break our lives in order to heal our souls. Are you following? Are you hearing? Because I think so much of the time we hear those words and this is what we say. That's fine as a principle, but as soon as it plays out in my life, I'm going to be very mad at you. It's fine as a principle, but as soon as it plays out in my life, I'm going to be very mad at you. Because I don't want you to break my life. I just want you to bless my life. And those two things, friends, they don't exist apart from one another. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to deny ourselves pick up our crosses every day, and go die with him. What life are you living? What amazes you? His grace or a little power on the side that you can use to spice up your life? Our second point is really unpacking further the first point. 
right, about who we're making great, what amazes you. The second point is, what are you pursuing? Because Simon's heart is absolutely revealed in our passage for this morning when he tries to buy the power of God. He is putting it out there. This is what I want, hot sauce Jesus. And not just for Christmas. He wants it for his whole life. I want Jesus to be the flavor that I add to my life that I'm already in control of, and I want you to bless everything that I do. And if God did that, you know what, we were, what this place would be called right now? It wouldn't be called earth anymore. It would be called hell, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And guess who, who gets hurt over and over and over again? All of us. All of us. God is going to break our lives to heal our souls, friends, because he loves us. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Let that sink in. Peter calls him out. He says, hey, may you, may you die with your silver. Whoa. He calls him right out. This is not how this works. We're not playing by those rules. This is not the game you think is, that is going on here. But he says, even at the end, don't miss it. He doesn't just damn him to hell. He calls him to repent. Do you, do you hear the heart of God in Peter? Peter, the guy who drew his sword. Peter, the guy who said, even if everyone else gets it wrong, I'm not going to get it wrong. Peter, the prideful guy, has learned a lesson about humility. Stands on the truth, but invites those who are struggling to live it to repent. Turn back to God. Even now there's grace waiting for you. But we know that Simon missed his moment. He missed it. Because he, he lives by that same amazement principle in our passage. He doesn't say, oh, woe is me, I'm broken. Have mercy on me, God, in Jesus' name. If he did, this would have a very different ending. But what he says instead is, you've got the power that I want. Can you pray for me? Can I say something that might be a little hard for some of us to hear it here? How many of you think that if you come to me and have me pray for you, that God's going to hear better than if you pray? Listen, I love to pray for you, and our prayer team loves to pray for you. We want to, but the same Holy Spirit that lives in me is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. Your prayers are powerful in Jesus' name, and he wants you to grow in them too. Yes, let's pray together, but don't you dare think for a moment that there isn't power in your prayers. There is, and we need you to grow so that we can fight more together against the lie and the liar. Amen? Amen. Simon missed his moment because he asked them to pray. And then it says the apostles leave. They go. They go on their way. And they go, they're preaching to all these different towns. And the text sort of leaves us wondering what really happened here. But church history does not leave us wondering. You see, in his book Against Heresies, Arrhenius talks about Simon and the Simonians, the followers of Simon. When he talks about the Gnostics, the Gnostics were the biggest heresy of the first century. Arrhenius was a church father, an ancient church father who lived in the, the second century A.D., who's writing about what he has just witnessed. And the Gnostics simply say this, oh, yeah, you can have Jesus, but there's a secret knowledge that is even deeper than Jesus, and if you follow us, you'll get there. You know what that's called? A cult. A cult. So if you hear anyone talking like that, run. Run because they are trying to dupe you. They're trying to deceive you. If there's any other gospel being preached other than the one you've heard from Jesus and from Paul and from the scriptures, that is called anathema. That is not of God. 
So you have the Gnostics here who are preaching a different gospel. And realize this. Look at how crazy this ends up. He takes, Simon takes a consort, another, in other words, a lover, who he then argues, Helena, is the incarnation of the divine mind, that she herself is the source of all creation. And then he begins to argue that he himself is the savior of the world, even to the point where he says, bury me in Rome, alive, and I will rise in three days. Who does that sound like? You know what he didn't do? Poor guy. Poor guy. There's one concrete way to figure out whether or not you are, in fact, the Messiah. Rome knew it well. If you kill him and he doesn't come back from the dead, guess what he's not, right? And yet, for generations, we've taken the Gnostic lie and we've simply given it a different name and we've followed down the same path where we ourselves are the ones who put on the power of God and take the place of God rather than pursuing the presence of God. Where are we forgetting, missing, deceived from from realizing we were made for the presence and when you go into the presence, you get all the rest. But when you go after the power of God, you will inevitably inevitably put yourself in the place of God And everyone around you is going to get hurt, including yourself. I want you to realize, friends, that this has been our issue from the beginning. This is what the devil told Satan, uh, what Satan told Adam and Eve, and what Adam and Eve were believing, the lie that they believed. When you eat it, you'll be like God. Okay, well, then let's eat it because we want to take God's place. Let's eat the fruit. I want to be God. I don't want to just trust God. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? We don't know our own hearts. We think we're not deceived. How many of you are still sitting in your seats right now thinking, well, I'm not deceived. He's not talking to me. Are you crazy? God is talking to you. He's talking to me. We are all deceived on different levels, friends. You know when we'll be fully walking in truth? When we see him face to face. Until then, let's be very suspicious of our own hearts and ask the Lord to continue to come in and show us what our real motivators are. Because as Paul wrote to the church in Rome, here is the fundamental definition of sin. We've taken the creator and the creature and we've switched roles. We've exchanged worship of the creator for that of the creature. That's what we do in life. In little ways that we don't even think we are. Can I tell you, this morning was a really hard morning for me. My heart was not in a good place. I couldn't understand why I was crumpled. I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And I've been feeling like this just sense of attack all week long. And we've been doing a lot of really good work here, praise God. But my heart has been wrestling. And it wasn't until we worshiped this morning that I understood why and what was actually happening. And why it was the same principle always in my life. God wants me to live my sermon before he has me preach this sermon. Because if I'm not preaching to me, then I've misunderstood my role. My daughter is away at college. And when your daughter calls you and she's upset because something has happened, as a dad, the place of 
My role as father is a place of power, is it not? And there's a role that's good there, but there's also a way that that can become an idol for me. I'm going to take care of my little girl. I'm going to protect her. I'm going to go fix this. I'm going to make it all better. And guess what I cannot do? Any of those things. None of them. But when this comes crashing down into my life, and I have to deal with it, and a week like this, this is what God is saying to me, and I want you to hear it in your own life too. Even the good stuff, friends. Even the things about yourself and your family and your life that that you like, that in some ways is really a blessing and a blessing to God. Even the good stuff can become an idol that keeps you from the only one who can protect your little girl. From the only one who can do for you what you could never do for yourself. What a a liar the devil is. What a deceiver. These traps that he sets for us. It makes me so angry when I see your lives and my life constantly falling into these ditches and it's like the same old stuff over and over and over with different details in everyone's life, but it's the same lie. You can't really trust him. You got to take matters into your own hands. Don't worry, you'll be okay. To hell with that lie, friends. To hell with that liar. In Jesus' name. There is a better way, a truer way, a way that is all about being broken and surrender. That says, God, I can't, I can't control, I can't protect my daughter, I can't protect my kids, I can't protect my wife. I will be faithful to what you've called me to, but I surrender them to you freshly today. I did that while we worshiped and I wept. (laughs) Thanks, Barry. Friends, I'm sharing this with you as an invitation because I was scared. I'm scared to let go. What if he lets her get hurt? Friends, what if he doesn't? What if she never grows? What if she never knows him like I'm begging him to have her know him? What did we say in the beginning? How do we grow? Through the fire. Not around it. Not avoiding it. Through it. Broken lives. So that he can heal our souls. Where, friends, is Jesus inviting you to look to him differently today when he says, this is my body broken for you? I didn't hold on to the power that I could have wielded, the authority that I had, the rights that could have kept me from this place, but I laid them all down. Don't miss the end of that passage in Philippians when it says, because he did all things and humiliated himself and died. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, 
that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. That's our Jesus, friends. He's not calling us to do something that he hasn't already done. And friends, please don't miss this part because this is the, is the bread and butter. He's not just not, he's not simply our example, but he's also the one who's done it for us. So when he invites us into this story, friends, he's not simply saying, look, I did it. You can do it too. No, when we put our faith in Christ, here's what he says. You're united to me. You were crucified with me. All of the stuff, all of the sorrow, all of the shame, all of the fear, nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him, and seated with him in the heavenly realms. That is who you are in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to live like that, friends. He wants us to begin to live like this with this, with this freedom of surrender that says, I don't have to do this on my own. In fact, I can't, but you're not asking me to. You're not asking me to. You've already shown me that when my worst nightmare comes true, when my loved one dies, they don't stay dead. Jesus reigns. He lives. He's risen. The story does not end even when it looks like it ends the worst possible way in this world. There is one who's conquered this world and who reigns, and who invites us to reign with him. And what he says is this, when you seek me first, seek first the king and his kingdom, and all of these other things will be added unto you. Don't get lost in the little ways that he wants us to walk in supreme power. Go after the one whose presence gives us everything we were ever made for, and then trust as he calls us to walk, he will empower us to walk. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. I hope you see this morning, beloved. God's not asking for us to figure it out or to be all squeaky clean. Because I am none of those things. But I stand before you as one who knows the presence of God. And I want nothing less than all of him for all of you. And so wherever you're hanging on to whatever you think you need to hang on to to be safe, let today be the day that you give it to Jesus. And say, Lord, get this out of the way. I don't want your stuff. I want you. I want you. And as you get him, you get everything. You get everything. Jesus, I pray a prayer of surrender right now over my beloved All Souls Community Church, my brothers and sisters here. Come, Holy Spirit. We prayed at the beginning, and we're praying again right now. Would you show us, Lord, where you want us to surrender? Would you show us, Lord, who you want us to surrender? Would you show, Lord, highlight the fear and control and pride, Lord, that keeps us from surrendering. Whatever the Lord shows you, friends, here's what I want you to do. Quietly but out loud, 
whispers at your seat, I want you to renounce, renounce the lies the Lord Jesus has just shown you. I renounce the lie that I have to be in control for my kids to be safe in Jesus' name. I renounce the lie that you are not trustworthy and not looking out for my good in Jesus' name. I renounce the lie that pain is worth avoiding and that your presence is not worth pursuing in Jesus' name. And now we put on the truth. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, saved a wretch like me. I was so lost, and in so many ways I still am. So blind, but your grace is helping me see. We declare today that we belong to you, great maker. Abba, we're yours. You love us, and you have come to set us free. And so we give to you, Lord, all the things, the places in our lives we thought we had to hang on to in order to protect ourselves, in order to protect those we love, in order to have the life we thought we needed. We give them to you. We give our loved ones to you. We give our lives to you. And we receive from you, Lord, in great measure this day, the one thing we were made for. You. You. You're so beautiful, Jesus. You're so marvelous. Yours is the love that chases the darkness away. Yours is the love, Lord, that puts breath in our lungs and reminds us why we were made. Hallelujah. We praise you, Jesus. Keep going. We open up our hearts. Keep going, Jesus, in your name.